you're on the air. Don't say anything crazy. Good evening, bonsoir, good night, and dobry wieczór. Welcome, viewers, to another exclusive podcast here with the Bro Bears, myself and the Langfordian child. Langford, welcome. Thank you for that glowingly internationalist welcome to <laughs> number 16, the edition of Bro Bears Talk. No, no, it's number 15. Is sorry. it number 15? I, I thought you said number 17 number was next 15. week. Fucking hell. Yeah, no, 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 that, that's my one. Oh, brotherly bear, I've completely confused okay, you, haven't bloody I? hell. You've really... You know what? You've not just confused me, you've ruined the entirety of this podcast. We may as well stop now and just post it as a 30-second clip. Oh, okay, okay. You know what? I'm going to hit stop. I'm going to... No, I'm... Okay, okay. I'm, 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 no, 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 no. I, I didn't so mean gonna, it. Gonna, <laughs> I did stop it, but we're going to... No! No, we're still recording, so let's keep no. this going. Let's keep this going. I'm, I'm sat here. I've got a nice glass of scotch. And um, I, I believe you've got a nice, a nice bottle of stout in your, in your hand. So let's get let's good times ahead. Indeed, I've got a um, good times ahead. I've got a milk chocolate stout here. It's from one of these packs. You know, everything's subscription based these days. <laughs> you know, you get subscription meat. You can get subscription mattresses. You can get um, subscription water. <laughs> it, 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 literally everything operates in the subscription model. And you know these companies are making hay during the covid pandemic because everyone needs to subscribe to bare essentials i think <laughs> i kid you not there's a subscription service to, for toilet paper and there's a business built on that that's not a joke i believe it i believe it and what's but what's weird is the uh the the inv- yeah the inventory practices of of everyone has completely changed um and you guys in the midwest who would who would order water from amazon and that's oh and they'd God, sub- wow. subscribe subscribe to water uh monthly water installations from amazon uh well i feel like that might be the future because i feel like the internet has afforded us the luxury of choice correct and that luxury of choice if kind of taken to the nth degree is exactly what we're talking about right where you kind of get the best of every product it's almost like going back to the local mm. where you'd get your meat from the butchers you'd get your bread from the bakery you'd get your fish from the fishmongers yep. and it, I, maybe it's actually a kind of a full circle in a sense but it's all obviously done online and it you'll have specialists in every single domain of item you can imagine in any given household yes so in in, <laughs> in that sense you're getting a um ultimate level of, of local choice but the distribution channel is just online is that what and quality quality with a capital k quality absolutely well that is that is that is the differentiator right that's how they would market or they do market their products is that it's the best of the best and they only do this one thing and they do with it very very well mm, mm. so that's sort of you know you get butcher box that's another i don't know if you heard of butcher box apparently it's a big thing in america you get mm. your meats for the week or for the month in one bulk buy, yes. obviously selected by you, or I suppose you could also go do a random house, a bit like this podcast, and uh, you know see what you get. <laughs> whether that's a fish head and a bit of um, a leg of, a, of a, an elk in Joe's case, but <laughs> you know whatever whatever floats your boat. I suppose a platypus, a platypus, um, a, a narwhal, yes, <laughs> yes, and near extinct species of birds of paradise from Uganda. <laughs> you know whatever you from like from Uganda, from you know a bit of dodo. 
a little, a little bit of a flightless bird. Just tuck into that. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> Not sure how we're going to cray there, but we're going to go to extreme lengths of uh, genetic engineering and bring it back to life at the expense of taxpayer millions just so you can tuck in. We're going to go down the Jurassic Park route with some of these extinct <laughs> critters and then get them served up to you for millions of taxpayer receipts. Just because you asked the question, what does Dodo taste like? And we had no idea, so we had to do it. We've got to bloody invest billions into this project now. See what you've done. <laughs> Look what you've bloody done, you bastard. Look well, it's doing. funny you should mention the Dodo, Brother Bad, because apparently the Dodo was a infamously disgusting animal in the sense of how it tasted. Apparently, <laughs> no matter how they cooked it, it was awful. Is that right? It's it's true. Yeah. What, just, just the taste? It was, it was just an awful... Yeah, one. it was a very, um, very disgusting taste in terms of the flesh of the of the animal, yeah. of the bird, the flightless bird. But um, I mean, it, it was it felt easy prey because it had no natural predators. I believe it was on the island of Mauritius mostly. So I yes. think it was potentially confined to the island of Mauritius, and the cats. Right. It was easy prey for uh, the cats that came with the initial colonizers. And they obviously saw it as a potential easy food source, but it was absolutely rancid. <laughs> Disgusting. Um, I, I didn't know that, actually. Um, it's, it's an interesting Well, there you are. Fact. It's a random useless fact for you. Here's, here's another useless one. Did you know that um, the polar bear, as I think usually if, I think in general, I don't know if in general or um, if cooked improperly is actually toxic to humans. Bear? Polar bear. Polar, oh, specifically polar bear. Polar bear Speci- right. Specifically, and there was there was an expedition to the the North Pole. You know, one of these expeditions that went terribly wrong, like most of them, where <laughs> just the, oh, yeah. the entire crew was was left stranded with with oh, no. Oh God! Hope. It, that sounds like that incredible story of the endurance. It's a great book. You should read it or listen to it. It's a the ship, right? Book. Is yes in Antarctica. Yes. Was it was it the Shackleton? Are we talking nah, about? Yeah, it was the Endurance. The Endurance. Oh no, that's the one that washed up in uh, that Antarctica. was Antarctica. Okay, there's a bunch of different ships. I know there's no. I think the Endurance is the one Michael Palin was talking about, wasn't it? The one potentially. It's, it's quite a survival story, and I recommend mm. reading that book. It's quite incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I Sorry, w- brother Bauer, I interrupted your Arctic story. Well, there wasn't much else to it, really, other than the consumption of polar bears probably causes madness. <laughs> wow. Do we know what exactly the toxin within polar bear meat is that I does that? I don't know. It's some something in the flesh, in the uh, the the flesh that basically caused madness, and and they found it. It, it was toxic to all those that consumed it um, mm. on this expedition. But of course, it's the only thing they really had to eat. The seals were too elusive. Um, you know, there wasn't really much else. I mean, you can fish a bit here and there, but without the, the proper equipment, other than if you've just got a rifle, you've just got to take down mm. a polar bear. Pow! Yeah, that's really interesting you mentioned that because it actually just jogs my memory. They were doing some scientific study up in the Alaskan area and some of the uh, they were looking at the diet of the natives up there Mm, mm. and they noticed that they were pretty much confined to a diet of seal meat and it was essentially a meat-based diet whether that was seals or all sorts of fauna found up there yes but they when they investigated that meat they thought you know this is the cleanest best diet you could possibly have yeah it's high in fat but look they've got cold winters and 
um, there's, there's nothing processed about this, but that when they found the levels of mercury and heavy metals in these people's bodies were like through the roof because it was contained within the fat and because all of these mm. toxins were fat soluble that essentially it was going up the food chain so every time they were eating fatty fish or um, a seal mm. polar bear um, peng- penguins whatever it would literally the, the toxic load would increase amongst the uh, native population and did this have a effect on life expectancy and things like that mm, i think it would and they'd have sort of unexplained diseases and um some of them were sort of mental in nature in terms of the diseases that had how they manifested mm. if mm. you have like lead poisoning or copper poisoning then it can oh, sometimes God. manifest in yeah quite horrible ways and obviously they didn't know what was going on no yeah it's crazy because you'd think you know this isolated tribe far away from industry and civilization would be fine but you see the pollution i mean they found like plastic bags at the bottom of the mariana trench the deepest um, point in our oceans yeah my god really right in those deepest darkest depths yeah it seems like nowhere is completely untouched so um Mm. we've uh, messed up the planet but there's definitely a green revolution coming and i feel like We've been talking about it for decades, but it's finally got some momentum behind it. Yeah, I think the green the green revolution is is picking up uh, more rapidly, and there's been this this argument from the Marxist and socialist wing of politics that markets and environmentalism are not compatible. What what do you think about that, brother Bear? No, I think they absolutely are compatible. I think it's just historically the incentives of both haven't been quite aligned. So Mm. I think it's Mm. kind of the analogy of the oil tanker. If you know, it takes five miles to stop an oil tanker because of the sheer weight and size and complexity of the machine. Um, You know, it takes a lot of time to turn around a system and make it into something it's never been before. So I think it'd be naive Mm -hmm. to think that real change would take anything less than decades. So I think that's what we're seeing now, right? And it's... It's a great metaphor. mm, that's a great I thing. think so, and you know, t- to conduct a one eighty degree turn in a um, tanker, tanker takes a, a lot of space and time. So I, I think it's the same goes for global trends in any meaningful way. If you're going to see change in any meaningful way, it's inevitably going to take a lot of time. And you finally sort of got incentives in terms of economic incentives and profits aligned with the green revolution. But it, I think it's taken this long to get to that point. But a lot of you know, mm. up until mm. that point there have been a lot of steps taken that potentially have been invisible to get us to where we are now. You know, the, the, like we talked about last week about the mm-hmm. EV market, right, and how that's really taking off and looking like a a really lucrative market at the minute. So, yeah. So yeah. I, I think in, in, in the same way, you'll have renewables being more on the agenda. Potentially that might not be wind, it'll be more solar mm. as the efficiencies of solar panels goes up and it actually becomes very economical and, in fact, almost... Um, it's um, inevitable that you would want um, solar panels. It's almost makes it there's there's every incentive to have solar panels because you're mm. um, in a position where you can actually save money. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of the unit costs and what you get back is the most lucrative and likely looking to be solar right now. Yeah, I, th- I think solar's taking off. There's um, a great stock that illustrates the real sharp trajectory of that technology it's called jinko solar i think they're the biggest um solar 
panel manufacturing firm in the world. I believe they're based in China, but don't mm. uh, don't uh, check that. It might well well be wrong. Um, but yes, there's a number of ways. And, you know, even Tesla's trying to get in on the energy revolution in terms of storage. So I, I know they were implementing some battery stations in Australia to basically even out the gaps and fluctuations in the power grid. And mm-hmm. where you do have blackouts, then Tesla batteries would step in and essentially smooth out any um, dips mm. in terms of demand. And, and from what you've told me, the Tesla Tesla batteries are just a cut above or miles miles above any other uh, battery produced by any other automotive or otherwise manufacturer yeah 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 they're they're miles ahead and it's because no car manufacturer took electric vehicles seriously and tesla was very much pioneering that space which is weird because for all of the large established players i don't know whether it was just through a lack of r&d and innovation and sort of being able to take a risk it's so again, maybe it's this, as by a token of the size of these companies, they're quite unwieldy and mm. can't adapt and can't be agile in the face of change. And so it takes something like Tesla, a car company essentially built from the ground up, from nothing mm. to something, or for, well, the biggest car company in the world now, according to market cap. So it's interesting you say this because someone, someone I used to work with, uh, quite a smart fellow, did say to me once, Tesla is a company built on sand, um, I think he said Mercedes, or he may have may have said Volkswagen, but he said one of those companies and BMW have been developing battery packs for a long, long time. Um, and where's where's the mismatch there, then, brother Bear? Is it just that yeah. they they haven't furthered the R and D, or or they didn't scale? Like what what's going on? Essentially, what it would be is take BMW or Volkswagen, for example, they would have a small R and D department which doesn't focus enough capital and resources in terms of knowledge and people and doesn't mm. throw enough money at it essentially quickly enough whereas tesla from day one has been very sort of ideological and um, utopian in the sense that and, and very much first principles based and one of those first principles that elon believes in is that number one is the pace of innovation if you are if your pace of innovation is that much faster than your competitors then you have a massive edge over them mm. So he, he, he's always gone back to pace of innovation, pace of innovation, and that's number one primary on everything, on every front, including battery technology. So, and, and this comes back to the incentives, and I think this got missed off of the last podcast because we were talking about this, but at the start yeah. before we hit record, um, mm-hmm. you were talking about their um, sort of the company ideology and the incentives are not all profit and quick quick turn um, profit-based they're, they're more about uh, innovation and mission-driven what, what's, what's going on there brother Bear? tell me about that yes well I suppose much like SpaceX Tesla was born of the mind of the great Musk and I'm sure you know our children and grandchildren will look at him as a you know a pioneer and a very much a frontier man in terms of these technologies and pioneering, pioneering these technologies as a true innovator so his mm. companies, both SpaceX and Tesla, sort of addressing the two biggest problems um, our world and society and humanity faces, which is one having 
a sustainable form of transport which doesn't pollute the planet and create a, an un, uninhabitable planet and two is also making us a multi-planetary, multi-planetary species which is what SpaceX is all about and so yeah. they're both ideologically based and he's said in the past and you know you take this with a grain of salt or choose not to believe it fine but he did say that Tesla for example he'd be happy if it went bankrupt for the sake of a faster adoption and uptake of electrical vehicles yeah so that's sort of an admirable um I think big it's, picture it's view admirable statement um big big picture view and I, I don't know some of his personal habits seem to back that up right i mean with him selling off of all, a lot of his assets and houses um, yeah I, I i think he's a very genuine person like as much as people like to hate on him i don't quite understand why because i don't see a flaw i just see a very genuine real leader and that's very rare to come by because you often find leaders who are slightly too polished slightly too i don't know um socialized and too sort of cookie cutter whereas Mm. i think he's just allows himself to be himself and what you see is what you get with elon i don't think he's trying to be anything other than who he really is Mm. i think you even seeing that even more you know as he gains confidence and sees he's able to build multiple companies and you know lead them all very effectively into profit you know, yeah. it's allowing him his true personality to come even more to the fore, which is great. You, you know, you see that in his kind of humorous tweets and stuff. I think I think you're right there, brother Bear, and he's he's kind of got the sweet spot in terms of the personality of a company leader because, you know, on one hand, he's avoided being that you know that polished socialite that's you know constantly trying to keep up with um, CSR um, expectations um he's he's swerved that but on the other hand he's not just the you know he's not the donald trump because donald trump is unapologetically himself but he's he is in such a way to be just pure profit driven and pure uh you know ruthlessness in character and Mm. um i don't think elon musk is either of those things i think he's he's obviously self-interested and not afraid to to speak his mind but he's um you know he's driven by a, a wider mission, and he's he comes across as very genuine. Um, and I th- I think in in all industries I've worked in, and and from all pursuits I've seen, whether it's hunting or acting or comedy or whatever, the people that prosper and do really well are actually the people who are not in it for the money. They're in it because they bloody love it. And yes. you know that's when the magic happens. That's when you start to grow because. You grow into the role and you come across as genuine. You attract genuine people around you. And that's when you really start to grow and prosper. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just such a hard thing to sort of find a confluence of something you're very... Um, well, it's first hard to find something you're passionate enough about. And then mm. it's also something that will, you know, um, pay for um, for your living, right? expenses mm. so but yeah I, I think i absolutely agree with you there that you do need something once you've found that thing it almost just comes to you um naturally and it doesn't feel like work yeah that's right that's right and 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 musk i mean you're, you're a bit of an aficionado on, on elon musk i'm not um well. i'm nowhere near as gend up as you but but uh obviously he's he said some quite uh controversial things about covid and uh I, I don't know his official stance, but I know he's he's got his scepticisms, Brother Bear. Um, have well, you I think been following any of that? At a distance. So all he was, I think he, what he was saying was that, yeah, it's, the virus is nowhere near as bad as we first thought, which is true. Mm. Um, so 
that was a comment that I suppose had some truth to it, but it was potentially could have been interpreted as quite inflammatory. Um, and then, you know, he was looking to reopen the Tesla factory, even though there was a government, you know, lockdown and ban. So he shouldn't have been doing that. But, um, you know, he's one of these people that's so driven. And um, look, I, I don't think I, I think he can sort of get ahead of himself in terms of speaking his mind that can also work against him as much mm. as that's a genuine thing. He can, it can be he can be a bit naive in that sense and not think about sort of second, third order consequences of him saying these things. Mm, mm. Uh, so yeah I think he should have been a bit more careful he just needs probably a bit of uh, a sensor something Trump was always lacking throughout his office <laughs> <laughs> yeah I suppose that's his charm as well though isn't it Elon is, that is his quite, charm that's his charm yeah it's part of his genuine uh, you know people seeing him as a, as a genuine leader and a genuine innovator is because he he doesn't have that you know that careerist even though obviously he's very driven by his his projects, he doesn't actually give off a careerist vibe. No, not at all. And I think you know he sort of he's quite lighthearted with a lot of things. You know, like his competitors, right? When there's Blue Origin and Jeff Bezos initially, like you said, said the vertical landing of a rocket booster wasn't possible, and then Elon <laughs> Musk went on and did it. And then mm. Jeff actually comes around to Elon's way of thinking and starts landing Blue Origin rockets in the same way. Elon then mm. tweets copycat to jeff <laughs> <laughs> so he's got some sort of trollish like yeah. attributes yeah well. yeah yeah he loves it he loves it it's just amazing that you get someone with i suppose maybe not the most sophisticated uh, sense of humor but with such intelligence a, a, a light-hearted sense of humor he's just such a incredibly well-balanced human being it seems mm. yeah that's a good way of putting it well-balanced yeah, I mean, at least came... in the public, at least at least what, from what we see externally, we can't speak to you know every aspect of his life. But no, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. But right. you know, from from what we see and you know, based on the information we have, I would agree, very balanced and very intelligent. Um, the yeah, the comments in Joe Rogan uh, have always been strong. <laughs> He's yeah. Yeah, I mean that guy's. A, he's privileged to have had Elon on what two or three times now, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's been like twice he's had him on now. Yeah, incredible, incredible. No, he he's he's amazing, and I think I I sort of see him and rate him higher than in terms of what he's given to society, far more than someone like Steve Jobs or um, Jeff Bezos. Or even, you know, Bill Gates, although Bill Gates has done a lot of, you know, um, charitable initiatives mm. and mm. philanthropy. I think, you know, Elon Musk will still have plenty of time to do that later in life. But I think in terms of what his legacy will be and what he will leave humanity, I, I don't think I can think of another single person who's given as much. Really? In history. In history. I think I think with Elon, he's someone. If he never ever achieves what he sets out to do, whether it's with EV or SpaceX, the legacy he'll leave, and the R and D he'll leave, will open the door for a lot of people to to build on that and actually realize that mission. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you know, he's more about the overall vision. If if you want to believe what he says, but yeah, it's um, it's quite mm. it's quite inspiring what he's doing. And I struggle to find parallels or some peers that, you know, are even comparable to what he's achieved mm. so far. And, you know, let's be honest, he's not done yet. So, 
Yeah, he's not particularly old, is he? He's in his 40s now or 50 maybe? Getting towards his 50s, but yeah, it's um, amazing. But he's so relentless in the pursuit of iterative improvements and just relentless R&D and relentless innovation. Yeah. And uh, do, correct me if, uh, you know, if, if I'm wrong, but he doesn't have... Am I correct in saying he doesn't have many... Um, engineering based credentials or is he what 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 are his credentials like in a form I don't know sense? of his credential of what his credentials really are to be perfectly honest I know he I think he has a somewhat of an engineering background he's got he he's able to code essentially he built some of the base code for PayPal because that was his first first venture mm. um so that was his first venture I think alongside Peter Thiel so you know two geniuses mm. working there mm on a service that was initially called something x like pay x and then that turned into paypal they sold that for many millions and then that um he then moved on to spacex or he established spacex i believe after having sold what became paypal yeah yeah and he was he went to russia to find some (laughs) ballistic rockets to start spacex (laughs) because what he essentially wanted to do he went to Russia and just asked where can I get some ballistic rockets but it turned out they were too expensive so he went back to the US and just started to build them himself and that triggered the I suppose the vertical integration um the the principle of that in the production side yeah yeah he's all about in-house manufacturing from um, raw material through to you know finished product whether that's like a rocket nozzle or piping mm. or plumbing or valves and everything top to bottom so yeah that there isn't some middlemen taking cuts everywhere it's all mm. spacex end-to-end he, he must be quite the critic of um working with china that's what that's my assumption no he isn't actually you'd think really? so maybe on face value no he's not he's actually very fond of china in fact he's being building a gigafactory a tesla gigafactory in china and you know at least on the surface you, you can never know what happens behind closed doors like we've said but on the surface, he's very sort of friendly, cuddly with them, to be honest. Yeah. And I'm um, sorry, what's what's a gigafactory? What's that? Oh, gigafactory. So that's, uh, it's essentially a very big factory. Okay. <laughs> but it's yeah. um, or sort of on the scale of, uh, I'm sure we've seen similar factories, but they would be sort of the size of, you know, plane warehouses where you'd have a production line of planes as yeah. opposed to cars. But he's just building these on an insane scale. Um, I believe there was one. They had to stop building one gigafactory in Germany recently because they found some rare lizards and snakes in the forest. (laughs) Oh my god! And the factory was going to destroy the habitat. (laughs) Yeah, basically they were having to cut down forest to build the factory, and they're like, "No, we've got a rare newt here from the Cretaceous period." I suppose that sort of offsets the uh, the drive towards EV, in in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like, can can we just? I'm sure. I'm sure the the benefit of all of these EVs will outdo. We can do away with a few lizards. It's okay. (laughs) So, so he's quite cuddly with China. Um, Yes. Now, there's there's sort of this this trend that people are talking about, brother bear reshoring, um, and the the sort of a reverse of offshoring, Mm. and. This has been accelerated by the pandemic. People were having less faith in elongated supply chains, mm-hmm. and and obviously economic protectionism and nationalism is is generally on 
on the up as a trend over the past sort of five ten years so what what's what sort of the um the elon musk approach to that do you think do you think he's a supporter of reshoring and bringing productive capacity back to europe and north america i would assume so just because of his business model but maybe not Mm, no i'd say definitely not the case in terms of tesla I, I know in SpaceX, for example, he only hires Americans. I'm not that's sure. That's exactly. not his choice, though, right? That's uh, I, from because because there was a sem uh, there was a conference where someone asked him if you know if you're looking to hire the best of the best from the world, global mm. talent. Why do you only hire Americans? It's not his mandate. It's a um, it's a rule that comes from the federal government because really tell me about yeah that. yeah it's nothing to do with his policy. It's basically because anyone involved in the um, the, the aerospace industry, um, the on on that level, um, no space exploration, anything like that, I think comes under the banner of defense, um, right? And under under the banner of um, those almost not military industries in the combat sense, but the uh, the credentials are not enough you need to have u.s citizens that's a that's a u.s government mandate whether the, that might change as years go on but that's i think that's been set in stone for a very long time wow i had no idea about that mm. in, in fact i do recall when i lived over there um i would sometimes try and get involved in in different programs um and there was always a prerequisite of must be a u.s citizen um which I always thought was a bit of a shame, actually, and it's not quite like that in Canada. Um, in fact, if anything, they drive to um, push for foreign talent more. Um, mm. Yeah, but yeah. but def definitely that's that's a a mandate that runs across a lot of different industries. Very interesting, but yeah, I, I think they probably stand to lose a bit more. I'm not sure. I suppose it's in the interest of security or right? national security that mm -hmm. they do this, or at least that's what they would claim. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, no. Okay, fine. I'll take that back. Sorry, Milan. <laughs> take that back, Milan Yusk. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, yes. what I will say is that for Tesla, he doesn't seem to be particularly tied to America. Um, I mean, given the gigafactories he's building in Germany and China, for example, and I'm sure mm -hmm. he'll be hiring local people, local jobs for local people. <laughs> no, none, uh, none of this messing about. You know, there's no point in flying Americans halfway around the world for them just nope. to come back every day. I'm sure nope. that wouldn't be the case. No. So I think he's investing. <laughs> and, you know, he's actually, a, it'd be a massive boost to the local economies as well, creating all of those jobs. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll, he's he's an internationalist by nature, right? I mean, doesn't he have Absolutely. like can, Canadian passport and South African and or was he he was born in South Africa, wasn't he? he was yes, born, I think he was born in Pretoria. Pretoria. So Pretoria. He was Joburg. Born, born born there and uh so so he's a Joburg boy, but then I think he he moved to Canada and then now he moved to the US, something like that. It's all very it's been confusing, all over, right? something like that. Yes. He's been all over, he's been all over. Uh, but yes, it's it's fascinating. And then his brother, I think, Kimball, Kimball Musk, uh, mm. he Kimball. was Kimball. Uh, he had a um, indoor planting business essentially. So he was. It's not quite as ambitious as the the Milan, 
but um, mm. he was using these shipping containers and creating essentially indoor farms, which is quite quite interesting. But mm. I think it's generally a farm, um, a farm he's trying to build in these containers. It's very interesting stuff. But it's a family mm. of entrepreneurs, really, if you look at all of them. And apparently, mm. their mother was quite instrumental in sort of instilling this entrepreneurial spirit in them. Yeah, well, we are all products of our environment and our families. Um, as much as we'd like to think, you know, everything we do, um, everything we achieve is off our own back and we're true masters of our own destiny. There is a bit of that, but I do think that, um, you know, the, the environments shape us. Um, I did not know about Elon's brother, though. So the whole family has uh, got that pioneering spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure there's one more sibling. I don't remember who it is, though. Um, the dark horse. The dark horse. The dark horse. Just... The dark... <laughs> They're going to build a rival space agency. And a... They're actually the CEO of Neo, the second biggest EV company in the world. <laughs> the fact the that they're Chinese doesn't, isn't part of it. Maybe, you know, um, yeah, we'll, we'll um, you know mother remarried and... Uh, you know, <laughs> settled in China. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, and then this Elon keeps it on the DL, basically. <laughs> Elon, we know, uh, but no, Elon is a believer. He's a globalist. He um, he's a, a globalist like you and I, brother bear. And I'm going to impose mm. that title on you. <laughs> impose it. <laughs> impose impose it. it. Well, I am um, by nature. I am by nature. Well, I think yeah. so, brother bear. And I think we've spoken about this in the past, where we believe really that the nation state is a glorified tribalism really is what mm, it is mm. and the nation and the feeling of patriotism it harkens back to the needing to belong to a tribe yes and it's by inherently tribal and i think the sooner we get to a truly global um, borderless globalist world where we just see each other as fellow human beings on this one spinning rock in the middle of nowhere the mm. better and it's kind of that perspective. I don't know what it's called. There is a phrase that it is is used specifically for this. Is the thousand that the, there's been a less than thousand people out there in actual space that can look back at the Earth and see yep. it for what it is. Because I know, the, for I know the exactly pictures, the phenomenon you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's something perspective. But anyway, I think it's the one world perspective or something like that, or something. Let's call it the one world perspective. It sounds like a Bob Geldof concert, but fine. <laughs> but the one world perspective, only a small handful of people had the privilege of experiencing that well and truly. I mean, looking at a photo on your screensaver is nothing that you no. need to see it with your own eyeballs. So mm, a very mm. small percentage of the human race has ever and probably will ever see that. Well, hopefully, many more once we all go to Mars and the Moon. But anyway. Before that happens, <laughs> there's many people yeah. who don't appreciate that and what a um, profound and real perspective that gives you. That we're all in this very fragile, delicately, delicately balanced ecosystem, this rock yes. that's um, spinning through the vast void. And, you know, it just uh, kind of puts our petty quarrels into perspective. It totally does. There's something very warm and fuzzy about... A shared identity a shared culture right you know you sort of you've got your flag you've got your food you've got all your customs and that goes a very long way but the i feel like the incentives both emotional and financial of that are actually diminishing brother bear the the incentives behind sticking to your own flag um for no reason really is kind of a they're the, the diminishing uh compared to being more globalist in outlook 
um, whether that's in terms of, you know, where you seek employment, you know, choosing your friends, choosing a partner, where you want to work and live, um, yeah. you know, the, the things you want to consume. So ultimately, I feel like that that's on the out. Um, I hope you're right. This actually brings me... Well, I, I don't know. I, th- I think there's definitely been a kickback to that. Um, yeah, the whole we, uh, we saw global, that. like, nationalist push back, right? It was like it was trying to push back against this globalist trend that was happening. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, um, again, coming back to uh, Ray Dalio's talk that you, you brought me brought my attention to, um, and he talks about in peacetime situations, you usually get high levels of political and emotional division, um, not in wartime. Wartime is when people sort of pull together, um, whether that's sort of nationalist or internationalist, it can vary. But in peacetime is when you get those those divisions in in people. And maybe the reason is just people have nothing better to do. Um, but because it was a time of relative growth, um, it was a time of genuine, genuine prosperity pre-pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in gr- a growing middle class um, in, in many regions. So what's really the hold up there? Yeah, there isn't one really, but they've people managed to find one. So <laughs> I think it's just a shame because well, what's it's not a shame. It's frustrating because I suppose you see where the globe or the planet needs to go. It mm. needs to move. I don't understand what's so scary and undesirable about one planet one globe no nation states anywhere mm. i don't know why that's i know that's complete that's like eons away from where we are today mm. but I, I see that as a desirable um aim i think i think that the the issue is and people people have voiced this quite a lot is the the trend of it undermining democracy and accountability I think I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, the more that you expand um, your political process, the the further and further decision making comes from the local level, and that's mm-hmm. there are ways around that. There are systems that perhaps accommodate for um, for you to avoid that, but that's generally the trend. We've seen that with the EU. We've seen it with NAFTA. Um, we've seen yeah. it with. Well, I think governance. I think governance won't be centralized in the far future at all. It'll be like blockchain to the whole thing. So mm. it, you'll have a politics for individuals as opposed to collectives. But do you think that's realistic? Giving that, surely at some point, brother bear, I'd love to hear your views on this. But surely at some point you're you're going to reach a a limit whereby you have to have some kind of unifying set of laws that people need to abide by. Yes, and I think, but that will be dictated by some sort of AI hive mind mm. that will sort of be able to dictate and sort of prosecute according to much more fairly and accurately than today's courts. Mm. So oh, incredibly so, like the co- you look at the the inconsistency of the common law system. Mm. You know the autonomy of judges. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I almost see like a decentralized AI cloud kind of governing everything. And that sounds maybe dystopian, but I don't think it necessarily is. It would just mean ultimate freedom for the individual. Mm. We're sort of a, in, a, in a borderless world um, whereby we kind of have a it, the AI pre-programmed with principles and almost 
ways of being and laws. But um, I suppose when it comes to infringing upon those laws or breaking them, then it would be dictated as um, per the individual. And would the AI be able to adapt dynamically to changes in constitutions and and ideas? I think it will it will con- it will have a real time temperature check of the collective consciousness hmm. in terms of every human being, and so it will it will gradually grow organically with our our own, our own development. Okay. But um, I I think it's it's, it's it, I don't know where this idea has come from. Lee. I think it's just a bit of a far fetched like sci fi idea. But I think it's just fun ideas to play with. I don't think. No, I think it's I think it's really interesting actually. The toggling around with these ideas because look let let's look at let's look at this fairly. Mm. A lot of a lot of people aren't particularly happy with how systems are run. Now, mm. Mm. Um, I'm not going to go as far to de- to say that. Um, the system of democracy is is past its shelf life as democracy as we know it but in a lot of a lot of western nations there isn't a lot of public efficacy i mean look at look at a lot of europe look at look at people's disillusionment with the eu the federal government the electoral college um so is it time for a complete system change not a party change but a complete system change to something more efficient something more accurate in in judgment calls yeah when i sort of talk about this ai system and this hive mind and sort of taking everyone's views and values into account um i think that's some a system that will come into play you know thousands of years from now not sort of in the next hundred but i think i think it needs to be obviously a very gradual change for it to to avoid um to have a minimal number of revolutions between mm-hmm. now and then so i think it, it needs to be i think democracy is a great system mm. I, I, I think we were talking about this yesterday where you can engage in democracy in more real time um, so there are bills and laws passed every day in parliament that we never that never see the light of day in terms of the public eye so i think if we're more involved and engaged with that sort of thing mm-hmm. and are able to vote on our phones on a given day or at least not necessarily dictate whether something gets passed or not but at least it gives the parliament a pulse of where the public stand on these issues. Mm. I think that's a very desirable place because it, it just, man, it, why aren't we leveraging data analytics? Why aren't we managing IoT? Why aren't we, man, like, in, mm. you, sorry, leveraging all of these incredible big data technologies to build up an insight of a nation in real time? Mm. Mm. Like, because yeah. that is surely like a political, politician's dream isn't it or at least a politician in sort of the idealist sense well your, your point is is a great one why do we not have some kind of app or a, a set of apps that at a moment's notice tell the public in really obvious layman's terms whether that be a pie chart or a line gra- bar graph whatever what is what are your taxes being spent on you know in the way yeah. that pe- people have those trader apps um, like you were mentioning the other day the, the tax expenditure. Um, what's it being spent on in the past six months, a year, day to day? Um, and, you know, you can use that to affect political decisions and financial decisions, career decisions even. You yeah. Know? Why is yeah. that, you know, why is there no transparency on that? Um, why, why is there only just a peak of that at the end of every election cycle, by which time everyone's too old to care, you know? Right. 
Well, it's a substantial amount of your income that goes into this black hole, and you never really know what it gets allocated to. Right, exactly, exactly. The and, the amount of labor you put in that gets taken, and it gets there's no transparency on what it what it goes towards. Right, and it, would someone say, plain double advocate, would they say, oh, that's what the budget is when you know they come out with the red briefcase? Is that mm. is it, does does that lay out exactly what every pound was spent on or not? <laughs> I th- I think that the adjustments to budgeting are far more dynamic depending on pressures from international markets, how much is printed, um, different demands of the NHS. I mean, look, for British context, you know, we have one of the, the world's only fully socialist, fully socialised um, healthcare systems. Well, what if a certain pharmaceutical con- company um, suddenly says one day, um, we we need to put the price up of this drug by 112%. Well, there's no financial planner in, in government that could have forecasted for that. Um, you know, and you can blame you can blame governments and administrations for, well, why did you cut this or why did you do that? But ultimately, there's so many forces at work that we don't even know about. Um, yeah. If we did have this information, we could make far more accurate decisions on who we actually want to govern us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking back to the Brexit vote, if um, there had been some sort of impartial, like this is just, you know, a pipe dream, but if mm. there was some sort of impartial um, AI-based, data-based, data-driven app that explained the facts to you plain and clear of this is what will happen if we leave, this is what will happen if we stay, then mm. I think people could have made an informed vote. Whereas I think that kind of, what it, if, if you look at the debates and conversations that happened after the fact, it mm. seemed that, the average voter just didn't have a clear picture of what each outcome would entail. Yes, that's very true. The The arguments on both sides were poisoned um, and dominated by people who could shout the loudest. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I, I've got friends who both, uh, you know, and I've worked with individuals who went to leave and went to remain. What? And there's... <laughs> and there's just there's just really yeah i know right that's that's unheard of and and there's often this um uh, i think there's there's just was a general ignorance I'm, I'm i'm guilty of this myself in knowing what the outcomes would have been right yeah, yeah. Uh, but brother, brother bear this brings me on to because i've been hearing you're probably more in tune with this than i am being being in the uk and i haven't actually looked into this recently um what what's the latest update? Because from what I understand, that it's been a very difficult situation in securing trade deals, um, and this is affecting has been affecting markets and sterling in the UK for some time. What what's going on with the the current status of actually leaving the EU in terms of making a tangible difference and and trade deals? What's going on there, brother bear? Oh, brother bear, I've uh, very much sort of taken a back seat with that, not really engaging or taking much interest in it at this point, just because it's become such a dry and monotonous <laughs> topic at this point. But what I have heard mm. is that t- trade talks with the EU authorities have resumed, which is only mm. a good thing, I imagine, because you'd want um, a deal as opposed to no deal. So yep. that would be good if we could have anything resembling a single market that would be great and yeah. yeah i think apart from that i don't have much insight or knowledge on, this, on the matter but i think um it's interesting that the pound relative to the dollar has got a lot stronger 
recently in the mm. recent months mm. which is maybe counterintuitive maybe it's down to the fact that the US government is being a lot more liberal with its welfare at this time than the United Kingdom mm. although the United mm. Kingdom itself isn't not liberal it's being sort of very um, it's got deep pockets apparently so this is all going to come back mm. to bite us in the form of heavy taxes in the future and you know Sunak has already alluded to that yeah, yeah, that's the the concern, isn't it? Sort of the the high levels of taxation. Who's going to pay for it, man? <laughs> well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's 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 not money out of thin air. It will be paid for, um, and it's probably going to be the middle classes paying for it, um, and the working classes to some degree. Well, I don't um, understand it to be honest, Lou, because like you you can the government and the bank the central banks um can make money out of thin air so what's the problem is it because they don't want to add too much to the overall state debt is that the problem and then they're trying to mitigate the state or the the size of the they're trying to limit the growth of the state debt by taxing more mm. i think so i i think i think it comes back to that it was that old saying is it um privatize the uh is it privatize the gains, socialize the losses? No, socialize the loss, the gains, privatize the losses. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it just comes back to the fact that when, if you can make people pay for it directly, you do. Um, but when you need that quick turn of money, then you, what you do is you do print um, when you really can't. You can't get tax out, extract tax out of the public. Right, right. And then sort of with the view that you'll just tax them at some point in the future to patch up these big holes. Yeah, yeah, you can you can do that or you can actually toggle with um, your spending um, and, and just sort of decide what to spend on and what not to. I mean, look, there's, there's so much spending. I mean, billions were spent on that aircraft carrier that's um, lying dormant in the... Um, in the English Channel near Dorset. And Why is it dormant? The reason it's dormant is because uh, there's no money, um, and I don't even think the technology has caught up, to put the aircrafts onto it. It's going to be like another few years until the aircrafts can go onto it. Um, right, okay. So it's, it, billions has been spent, and it's just a, basically a massive floating desk that's <laughs> <laughs> just sat there... Um, and uh, it's just, from what I can see, very little tangible benefit to the uh, to the average person. And um, yeah, I suppose you you need to keep your um, nuclear deterrent there and your sort of um, military prowess if you want to be regarded as up there mm. in the world, on the world stage, and included in the G eight and all that mm. stuff. Mm. I think that's it. I don't know what that gives the average citizen, but I think it keep, elite keeps us at the table of the biggest powers in the world and that's really important yeah i don't think it does i I don't know it's it's hard to gauge how much it would deliver for the average citizen um but Mm. but it keeps us you know respectable on the world stage and i think that's the most important thing it keeps us at the g8 table it keeps us at those big discussions certainly um it it keeps up with nato obligations um and the i suppose you know there may come a a sort of trade benefit from that that actually does indirectly i mean we're getting into sort of trickle down theory here but that may indirectly benefit the average joe or the average janet yeah <laughs> janet <laughs> yeah military spending though is always going to be controversial because you know it 
it alludes to expansionist ideas um, in nature, mm. and it it's the be- the tangible benefit to the average citizen is is not clear. You know. No, it's not clear. It's very indirect, and so you'd mm. need some pretty in-depth analysis to sort of discern what the <laughs> <laughs> end benefit is to the average um, citizen. Yes. Brother... Good luck. Good luck convincing them. But yeah, carry carry on, brother bear. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just I was just thinking when we're talking about sort of the nuclear deterrent and all that good stuff. Well, not good stuff, but, you know, it's mutually assured destruction and all that terrible stuff. But it's... Mad, it, mad, bloody mad. It's bloody mental, yes. mate. Um, yeah, so that's something I think we'd want to get rid of if... I remember I was doing a presentation back many years ago in school, and it was... Everyone had to come up with something they'd put in Room 101. If you remember that show, Room 101, it was essentially anything that you would never want to see again. And mine was yes. nuclear weapons. Though I, I mm. with um, you know, anti-nuclear Greenpeace, you know, I probably would have been a hippie back in the seventies. So I was all about, you know, <laughs> no, uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it makes no sense. It's mutually assured destruction. It's a destructive thing. Not to mention the amount of money that's spent uh, making them, building them, maintaining them. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And what could be, what could be done with that money? In fact, just generally speaking, how much money is wasted on? the military particularly in the US on military hardware whatever it is because they've got insane budgets they've sometimes got mm. to spend stuff on ridiculous stuff so they would get like G-wagons that are just armoured to the teeth um, yeah. and these expensive mercs but then they'd never use them because they'd look obviously incredibly conspicuous when driving into Kabul and they, you know they would be targeted <laughs> straight away <laughs> so you're saying there's like budget there that just is forcibly spent on things it's, that will never be used. Yeah, literally thrown into an inferno and just spent on armored G wagons at two hundred k a pop. Yeah, I, I think the spending in the U.S. military. I did look up the financials, and it's something. You know, it's up in the trillions, and it's crazy. just absolutely ridiculous the amount. But but of course, the argument that people would say is, well, you know, once once if the U.S. took a a nosedive in its spending, then that would you know heaven forbid what russia or china might do um mm. particularly china or north korea russia's sort of gone ailing um contracting military now really but particularly china or north korea you know what what kind of uh, competitive advantage would they have and what if they just completely took advantage of the west right and i'm not saying defense has to go away it has it still has a place in the world while we're all still in this nation state of affairs there is there's there's a place and a necessity for defence and robust defence and a defence that's up to date and it couldn't be potentially taken advantage of. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think it has a place and it is required, but it's just um, yeah, we are no utopians. We realise I think the need for these things. Yeah, I think I think there's a time for utopian ideas and there's a time for pragmatism. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could argue that mutually assured destruction. Uh, saved the world in the 1960s and 1980s you know the Cuban Missile Crisis Um, I think that there's something to be said for you know the knowledge that the capabilities of your adversary are so powerful um, that you know they equal your might that you you just won't pull the trigger yeah now that that is a sort of maybe positive side effect of all this but it is crazy 
Brother Libert, I must get some slumber, but it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, and I really hope you enjoyed this Random House production. <laughs> yes, sir, I did. I loved how beautifully random and freewheeling it was. Um, I, I loved your input, and uh, I, I cannot wait for the for the next edition of Robert's Talk. Yeah, the next one, guys, rest assured, is going to be a polished piece of Bitcoin. Anyway, we'll see you then. Take care. Good night and good farewell. Ta-da, farewell. Ta-da, farewell. Bye. Pow. 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 Pow.